Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Bill Telephone Education Series. Dr. Bill Takeshita is a developmental optometrist who also serves as the consultant director of low vision training for Braille Institute and has lectured extensively across the country on topics of pediatric eye conditions and low vision rehabilitation. The Dr. Bill Telephone Series is an educational program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents, teachers, and other professionals working with young children with visual impairments. The topics presented should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information to help us better understand pediatric eye conditions. And we are all so fortunate to have Dr. Bill. He is such a valuable resource. So thank you so much for um, for um, joining us tonight, and thank you, Dr. Bill, for your this great lecture. Thank you very much, Sue, and I want to thank all of you for joining us this evening. I know that as it is uh, getting closer and closer to the holidays, a lot of people want to use this time after work to go shopping. So <laughs> really appreciate you sharing your time here with Sue and myself. Mm-hmm. Now tonight we're going to talk about a topic that we believe is very, very important, but it's often overlooked. And that is how to make some basic modifications to the home or the play area or the classroom for a child who has low vision. Now, we often see how parents are very eager to take a child to an ophthalmologist to try to find out what is the cause of the vision impairment. Or they may be very eager to take the child to a low vision optometrist to find out what types of special glasses can be designed and used for the child with low vision. But It's very rare that people know that there are many things that could be done to the environment to really help the child to succeed in his or her everyday life. And for the most part, we find that this type of information usually is presented to the parents by teachers, teachers for the visually impaired or other types of therapists who are working with the children. So with tonight's lecture, we hope that this will be a podcast that will be spread throughout the community uh, for those people who do have low vision. Now, when we think about the environment that a child is raised in, it is something that we often don't really think about. For example, when a child who has normal vision is brought into the world, we may think about how we might decorate the rooms with certain colors and we might have certain toys. But when a child has low vision, there's many other things that we really should take into consideration. Uh, Number one, we really need to find out whether or not this child can adapt to various lighting conditions. This is very important because many children who have different types of vision problems are either extremely sensitive to the bright light, and if you open the drapes of the curtains and it's too bright for that child, it's going to cause pain and the child may just close his or her eyes. But we also know that, again, many children with low vision, they also cannot see as well in the dark. So if you have a home that you typically keep very dark, the child will not be able to see anything in that particular type of surrounding. So we need to be aware of the lighting. Number two, we have to be aware of contrast. Now, contrast relates to something against a dark background 
with a, a light object or a light background and a dark object. When we have something that has these contrasting darknesses, it is something that really can make it much easier for a child to see. So, for example, a child who may have low vision may have difficulty seeing certain things. Let's say that you draw a sketch for your child, and it's a sketch of Mickey Mouse. Now, if you do that using a pencil, a child may have a very difficult time seeing it. However, if you use a felt pen or a Marksalot marker or a Sharpie, the contrast will be such that a child could see it and a child could learn from it and enjoy it. So, in addition to looking at the lighting, we look at the contrast. And number three, we also want to look at the size. If a child has low vision, there may be certain things that might be too small for the child to see. So if we have toys, and maybe these are toys that a child might try to string little beads to make a necklace, this might be a toy that really isn't appropriate for a child with low vision, but if we were to use a modified size bead, the child would be able to do it. Or the child could play with certain board games if we have the appropriate size targets and different things to play with. Even when it comes down to sports, we can allow a child to play sports by simply making modifications, making certain that the lighting is correct. We could change the contrast. For example, we might go ahead and we might paint that baseball a high-contrast fluorescent orange so that when dad or mom is throwing that baseball against the green grass background, that fluorescent ball is going to be very easily seen and the child with low vision could be successful. And this is, again, another example where we could show parents that just because your child has low vision, it does not mean that your child cannot do things. There are so many times, so many times that I see parents or they will tell their child, no, you can't do that because you can't see well enough. No, 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 don't run, don't run. You can't see well enough, so don't run. No, 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 we can't have you sign up for baseball because you don't see well enough. Or you can't play basketball because you don't see well enough. So many times when a child or any person, for that matter, is told that you cannot do something, it often makes you feel as though you're not worthy. Or is it really just that you don't have that ability or that skill? And in reality, we know that there's many athletes who are totally blind who are excellent athletes, and they can participate in all of these sports and all of these different activities. So... We want to go ahead and we want to establish the foundation to the parents and to the family that just because a child may have poor vision, it doesn't mean that you ever want to restrict the child from trying different activities. We may simply say, yes, if you want to play football, let's have you play football. We might have to talk to the coach and see what position would be the best for you to play. Maybe it will be best for you to play center as compared to being a wide receiver because of your vision. 
But as a matter of fact, the USC Trojans football team, who will be playing in the Rose Bowl on January 2nd, they have a player on their team. And this gentleman, he is a, a patient of mine. And this person, he lost both eyes at the age of 12. They had to remove both eyes to present a cancer from spreading throughout his body. But he went on, and he succeeded in school, and he got accepted to USC. And the wonderful thing about this young man is, believe it or not, he is on the USC football team. He is the center, and when people are going to kick the football for a field goal or for a punt, he is what they call the long snapper. So it is really, really amazing just to understand that a person who is totally blind is able to play competitive collegiate sports at the highest level. So this is another good type of story that we could share with parents. So again, we want to try to remind parents to encourage their child and to let these children explore and play and do as many things as they would like to do, especially early on in life. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is what can we do to modify the home in terms of with lighting? How can we help the home with lighting? You know, for the most part, a newborn child is going to be indoors most of the time, and there's many ways that we can modify the lighting. First of all, you really want your child to receive a functional vision examination. And these are examinations that are usually performed by low vision optometrists. And this type of exam gives us a lot of very, very important information because, for example, you would want to know whether or not this child could see better if it's very dim or if it's very bright or if it's moderate. And we also want to find out, are there certain types of lights that are actually dangerous or could worsen the vision of these children? And the doctor could tell you about that. So when we think about the general lighting of where a child is going to be, one of the easiest ways to set things up for the child is generally to be that we're going to have the child's back or the back of the child's head facing windows or sliding doors, or sources of glare. And the reason for this is because when the child's back is facing the window, the child isn't going to be bombarded with too much light. The light that comes in from the window is then going to reflect off the walls in the room, and that's going to give the child the high level of vision without having too much brightness that causes that type of glare. Within the windows, we really like to ask parents to see if it's possible that they could put some types of vertical blinds or horizontal blinds or even curtains for that matter. But with these particular types of vertical or horizontal blinds and curtains, we could modify the amount of light that is coming in at certain times of the day if it's getting to be too bright. We also would recommend that the walls of the room are going to be painted according to the situation that would be best for that child. 
And this is something that the doctor would tell you. But overall, we would generally recommend an off-white paint for the walls. And the reason that we like the off-white paint that's going to be a semi-gloss paint is that if it is a true white paint, it's often going to be too bright. And if it is a reflective paint, like a glossy paint, it causes glare. So this type of off-white paint generally works very, very well. In situations that if the child is really much more sensitive to the light, let's say that they have a condition such as albinism or that they have aniridia where there is no iris, these children who are very, very sensitive to the light, they may prefer if the room is going to be painted a bit darker. So it could be somewhat of a tan-colored wall, or it could be a light blue wall, or even a light pink wall. But those would also be able to make the room more comfortable so that the child will be able to keep his or her eyes open. One thing that you always want to do as you're looking at your child or you're working with a child, look to see whether or not the eyebrows are trying to furl or if the child is squinting a bit. That is going to give you an indication if it is way too bright for that child. Another thing that you would like to do inside that room as it relates to lighting is we want to make certain that we have adequate lighting in the room at nighttime. You know, in December, when it starts to get dark around 4.45 or so, we don't have any more sunlight at that time, so we need to have enough lighting so the child who is awake during these hours at night would be able to see. Now, there's many different types of things that we could recommend. The most affordable type of lighting uh, for a room would be what we call a floor torsier. And these are the types of lamps that they have a, a round base that's about 12 inches, and they're weighted. And then there's a pole that goes up about 7 or 8 feet. And then at the very top of the pole, there's a light and there's a shade. Now, this particular type of light is very effective because... What it does is it shines the light up into the ceiling and towards the walls, and the light then reflects off of the ceiling and the walls, and one lamp could really do a pretty good job of illuminating the entire room. Now, with this particular type of torsier lamp, there are different styles of these lamps. Some of the older ones will have light bulbs that are the ordinary light bulbs called incandescent and they work very well and it may be such that if you're using a 100 watt light bulb in that torsier lamp it will do a very good job of illuminating the entire room while the child is awake and playing. There are also torsier floor lamps that have a fluorescent tube and this is a round circular tube. The main advantage of these fluorescent tubes that would go into this type of lamp is that they do not use as much electricity. And as a matter of fact, General Electric makes these round circular fluorescent light bulbs, these tube lights, that could be screwed into 
a lamp that has the conventional bulb holding. So in other words, if you have a Torsier lamp that you've had for many years, but you would like to use a fluorescent light that doesn't use as much energy and it lasts much longer, you could purchase one of these circular fluorescent tubes and put it inside there. And this way your child will have a lot of light in the room as it reflects off of the off-wall, off-white paint. Now, when you have the child sitting inside a, a recliner or a little car seat or whatever the child is in the room, we really then want to make certain that we have objects that would stimulate the child to use his or her vision. You know, if we have a child who's in a white room with white light, it really would almost appear to be like the child's looking through a snowstorm. So we need objects that the child could see. We really want to remember that the child's vision develops based on his or her age. Shortly after birth, a child's eyes are really only able to focus at a distance of 8 to 16 inches. So in other words, when you bring a baby home, you really want to present things that are close to the child between 8 to 16 inches. Also, during the first two months of life, children really don't see colors. The color vision isn't yet developed. So the best way to stimulate a child's vision during the first two to three months of light is you might place mobiles that are black and white, and you could put them just right above the carrier or where the child is sleeping between 8 to 16 inches. And these particular types of mobiles could be different geometric shapes, triangles and circles, and they might have concentric circles. And what's also nice with these things, too, is that many times there's multiple, and if you turn on a, a very weak fan far away, it might even blow these little objects so that the child will see them moving and the child will begin to follow it with his or her eyes and his or her head. Now, as a child gets to be a bit older, we're talking three to six months, the eyes are then able to focus at a further distance. So at this particular point in time, we could then present different toys or patterns, and we could put these on the wall at a distance of about two to three feet. Also, at this time of about three to six months of age, the child is now starting to develop color vision. So during that time, you might just use some primary colors, red and blue, yellow and green, and you could paint things on the wall at about the level that the child is at. Now, you might just simply get poster board and make some patterns so the child has different things to look at. Or you might find some other old posters, basic posters, such as a Mickey Mouse poster, something that doesn't have too much clutter, but this will also stimulate the child's vision. And then as the child gets to be older, such as 12 months or older, at that time you could add other types of visual objects that are on the wall. And these are things that could be very, very stimulating. You could also then turn on things such as a television or a computer screensaver 
so that the child can look at these different colors and patterns moving on the screen, and that will then stimulate the vision. Now, as kids become older, they're going to begin to develop their motor skills as well. And they may try to then roll over, and they try to crawl. As they're beginning to move in these different types of ways, we really want to make certain that we have a safe area that the child could play on the ground. Now, generally speaking, I would prefer that we have carpet, but carpet can be a problem if it's in a, a rental or an old home and the carpet is dirty. You want to make certain that the carpet is going to be clean and not very dusty. And we also want to be aware if the child has any types of allergies to dust. But if at all possible, having some type of carpet is going to be more comfortable for the child. And so I like to recommend the use of different types of area carpet rugs. Now, these are often 8 feet by 10 feet. And so that if you have a hardwood floor and uh, it's time to play on the floor, we could roll these area carpets out. And this will be a way that you could place a child on that particular type of carpet. Now, what's very important and very helpful is that the color of the area rug that you use, it should contrast the flooring that you already have. So let's say, for example, you have dark brown hardwood floors, and they're just beautiful, and you love them, and you don't want to cover it with carpet. Well, you could use the area rug when it's time for your baby to play on the floor and to begin to crawl and such. The area carpet that you use should be a contrasting color. We really want it to be a very light color area carpet so that your child is able to see the border of the carpet and then where is a hardwood floor. This is something that's very, very helpful so that the child learns borders and the child could have very poor clarity of sight, but with a contrast, they'll be able to see where things extend. And then when we're going to use toys that we put on this area carpet, we could then use toys that are contrasting colors again. We could put a red ball, or we could put a blue box of toys on top of this white area carpet, and it'll be very easily for the child to see on that particular type of situation with that type of contrast and lighting. Another thing that we should think about is that as the child grows older, maybe the child is now four years old and five years old and the child is walking and running in the house, it's very, very helpful for you to make different landmarkings in the house or at school in the classroom so that there's contrast. Many times these particular types of artistic impressions with contrast, your, your friends and family who come over, they're going to say, my gosh, who, who designed this? This is just, did you have an interior decorator come? It just looks so great. But in reality, you're often doing many of these things to help your child who has low vision to be able to see better. So, for example... Some of the things that could be very helpful inside of a home is that the baseboards, these are the boards that are on the bottom of the walls. 
Many times these baseboards are just painted the same color as the wall. But you could do something that's really nice, and it doesn't cost a lot of money by painting these baseboards a contrasting color. So if you have a daughter and maybe her favorite color is purple, you could paint the baseboard purple, and it gives it a really good animated look to it. Another thing that you may do is that you could also paint the doors, paint the door of that room a different color. So rather than having a white wall and the door when it's closed is white, the child may not see it at all. What you could do is that the door jam, the wood casing that surrounds the door, you could paint that a contrasting color so that the child could see very easily where is the door. Or, if you even want to, you could paint the entire door that color so it makes it very colorful and it makes it very easy for the child to see. Another type of thing that you could do that would also be very helpful for many children is to make a rule so that everybody tries to keep the doors either open or closed. We do not want the situation where the door is halfway open because there have been a few times that I thought that the door was wide open and it was only halfway open and I walked straight into the edge of the door and, you know, I actually cracked the skin of my forehead open hitting that edge. So another thing that you could do there is that you could try to make a rule to all the other students that we try to keep all the doors completely open or completely closed. And there's other things that you can purchase for the home. And these are little springs that are inserted near the hinge and it's an automatic door closer. So this way, if a child leaves the room, the door is going to automatically shut. And this could prevent the child from walking into that edge. You may also do the same thing when it comes down to your different cabinets, kitchen cabinets. When the kids leave those kitchen cabinets open and I run right into it, oh, it, it's such a dangerous and it's such an aggravating thing. But what we also did was that we actually painted the edges of these doors and the edges of the cabinet a contrasting color. So it was something that I would then be able to see that. And that was something that was really, really helpful. And a lot of people just thought, wow, your doors really look so nice the way that you have this type of contrasting edge. So it's something that doesn't take a lot of time, it doesn't take a lot of money, and it doesn't take a lot of expertise. But you can go ahead and paint the edges of the doors or the cabinets that same way. And when we're thinking about other areas within the classroom, for example, when a child is now entering school, there's a lot of things that a parent or a teacher may consider doing to help the child. First of all, we want to see if we have that ability to position the child again such that his or her back is facing the windows and the doors. It could be very, very helpful to adjust the opening of these blinds. We don't necessarily have to have them completely wide open. 
but we could partially open the blinds so that there's not as much glare coming in. We would also like, if a child is very sensitive to the bright light, let the child wear a baseball hat, or a girl could wear a hat also. You know, these types of hats, they just look really cool, and you're just a cool kid if you're wearing a hat. And that'll be a way that we could reduce the light that's coming from up above. If a child is very, very sensitive to the light, another thing that we may also ask is, would it at all be possible that the class will change from the white dry erase board to a gray dry erase board? These are definitely available, and we have many schools that were willing to do that, to make that type of a modification. Sunglasses can also be prescribed to reduce the glare when a child is looking at that white dry erase board. And if you are going to get a child sunglasses to reduce the glare from a dry erase board, I recommend that you would use the polarized lenses. Now, the reason that we use a polarized lens is that light will reflect off of shiny surfaces, and when it reflects off of a shiny surface, such as a white dry erase board or water that's on the floor, the polarized lenses will reduce that type of glare, and it is something that's very, very effective. And that's why many people, you'll see many people when they're even driving in the rain, they will wear these polarized glasses because it helps them to see so much better through the reflections and the glare that's caused by the light bouncing off of the water. In the classroom, another great thing that you can do to help the child is to create contrast situations that makes it easier for the child to see whatever it is that you might be working on. I know that Many of you may have seen many times that you pass out papers and you're going to do an art project or they're going to do some writing. And the child with low vision often cannot see the edges of their paper if they have a desk that is a very light in color. Many of these woods that are very light in color, they don't produce enough contrast against the paper. So a very easy solution for that is that you can use construction paper or black poster board, and you can actually cut this to be equal to the size of the child's desk. And when you're then handing out papers, you now have the highest contrast level where the white paper against the black poster board will make it so much easier for the child to see where is the paper. So then if the child is writing, the child is not going to be writing off of the paper onto the desk, as we often see. The same thing also is true if the child is trying to do arts and crafts. If we have that type of dark background, it will make it easier for the child to see where to color or where to paint. Another thing that we also talk about when it relates to paper and writing is that on conventional notebook paper, children have difficulty seeing the lines. Now, you can purchase, or the teacher for the visually impaired will have bold line paper, and this is regular 8.5 by 11-inch paper that has bold lines that go across. It's almost as though 
you took a Sharpie felt pen and you drew these lines that extend across the entire width of the paper. So this works very well for children who may be in uh, kindergarten and first grade. But what I have found is a lot of my patients, as they get older, these kids, they don't like to use the bold line paper because it is so obviously different than what the other kids are using. So what we like to do is we will teach parents and teachers how to make their new modified type of bold line paper, and that is by using their computer, and they could make the lines in a color, such as a green. And it doesn't have to be as bold or as thick as the Sharpie pen. So in this way, their paper looks very similar to the paper that other kids are using. It's white with uh, green, green lines across it, and that the lines are not so wide. What you might have seen in this bold line paper, the separation between each line is so big that it really looks like you're, you're writing elementary school style. But the kids who are older, they don't want to write larger, and they want to write in a way that everybody else writes. So this particular type of modified line paper that you could make just on your computer using a word processing program, it works very, very well. Now, another thing that you can have inside the classroom to help the child is that we would hope that there would be a position in the classroom that the child could be placed and use different visual aids. A monocular telescope is a type of visual aid that a child could hold in one hand and read what's on the chalkboard very, very comfortably and very independently. Some children may also be using something called a video magnifier. And this is a computer monitor, about 22 inch, that has a camera that will focus on the screen. And this will allow the child to read whatever the teacher is writing on the board and the child would be able to see it on his or her computer screen. These devices also have the ability to scan it and read it out loud for the student. So if a child is using any of this type of equipment, we would like there to be a position in the classroom so that the child is not going to have an obstructed view. Sometimes children with low vision are placed in the very back of the room because they have this type of equipment. But if there's a lot of other students sitting in front of them, then it's difficult for them to see the board because all the other students' heads are in the way. The second thing is that if at all possible, we would like it to be such that the child could be placed in the center of the room rather than way off to the very extreme left or the extreme right. Uh, by positioning the child in the center of the room, the child will have the greatest ease of seeing the left and the right sides of the dry erase boards. However, there are some cases, there are some cases that we would want the child to be positioned on the side of the room. And that is when a child has a hemianopsia. A hemianopsia is where they only have peripheral vision on either the right side or the left side. 
And in those particular situations, we will position the child on just one side of the room so they could use their peripheral vision maximally. Now, other types of accommodations that we would want for the children is we also want to make it easy and safe for them to walk and to run and to play. It's really very helpful, if at all, that we could remind everybody at home or at school to try not to leave things on the ground. You know, when I come home to my house, uh, my family, we're, we're all Japanese, and they all like to take off their shoes, and it just drives me nuts when all the shoes are right in the front of where I need to go. I'm tripling and falling over all of these shoes, and it's just terrible. So, you know, we had to come up with a solution where we put a, like a bench, and this, this particular type of bench is where people could stack their shoes, so it's just not on the floor. But objects that are just lying on the floor could be a, a major problem for uh, children with low vision. So we want to try to keep things free of clutter in that way. We also want to remind, if you do have dogs or other pets, we try not to keep their food dish or their water dish right near the front door or the back door where there's going to be a lot of traffic because there's a very good chance that that child with low vision is going to bump into that and to trip over it. When it comes down to steps and stairs, they could be a very big problem for a lot of kids. So we want to go ahead and mark those steps and stairs and curbs so that there's contrast so they could see it. One of the easiest ways to improve the visibility of brick stairs or if it's going to be concrete stairs is to use friction tape. Now friction tape is that type of uh, tape that is used on skateboards so that your feet don't slide and slip and they come in rolls. So you could go to a Home Depot or Lowe's and you could buy this type of friction tape and you're going to simply stick it on the edge of the step. So as the child is either going up the stairs or down the stairs, they could see these big high contrasted lines and they know exactly that these are the stairs and when they place their foot on there, they don't have to worry about slipping because of that type of friction tape. In some cases, people will use paint instead of their friction tape. And the paint is something that is more affordable and it works very well, but it also doesn't give you that same level of safety in the event that if it's raining. If you have an area that always gets wet, the friction tape is going to be much, much better. You could also install different types of rails and banisters if you have stairs that are outdoors leading up to the house, you want to install those types of rails or banisters and teach the child how to begin to use his or her hands to fill the banister and know when the staircase ends and when it begins. Now, at most schools, they already have these particular types of uh, banisters and rails, so we don't have that particular type of problem. But for a lot of my patients, some of the things that has been a problem has been specific poles. Sometimes at schools, there's poles that support the pathways. In other words, when they're walking down the outdoor hallway, 
there's all of these poles, and above it, there's a rooftop that holds that covering. But some of these poles are positioned near the corners where the kids have to turn to go to the classroom or go to the restroom, and a lot of them don't see those. So this is what we could recommend, that they can be very creative and paint high-contrast stripes. So it's almost like the swirl at a barber shop. And this particular type of high contrast, it just forewarns a child with low vision that, hey, there's an obstacle here, and you got to be careful as you're making this particular turn. The same thing holds true inside the cafeteria areas. For some of the kids, they may need a little bit more assistance where we need to have a little bit contrast so they could get through the cafeteria and that they could carry their tray and make their ways to their chairs. So overall, these are just some of the different types of uh, suggestions that we have for making the classroom, making the home, making the playground a bit easier. There's other things that you could be very creative too. I hope that you learn from this discussion. For example, if your child wants to play basketball, let her play basketball. And you may simply need to make things more contrasted. I remember there was a time that a father, he really wanted to help his daughter who wanted to play basketball. He went to the sporting goods store, and he bought the most expensive basket set. It had a pole. It had a fiberglass backboard. It had a breakaway rim. I mean, this girl was only about eight years old, and he had the best setup that Shaquille O'Neal would want to slam dunk on. Well, when he set the whole thing up for her, he lowered the basket and the girl had the hardest time shooting the ball. And he had told me about this. I said, you know what? You bought the best basket ever. But when you have a transparent backboard, it makes it harder for her to shoot because she's going to see the trees and other things in the background. She doesn't really know where is the backboard and the square. So what I recommend that you do is get a a can of white spray paint and paint the back side of the backboard and then she'll be able to then see where is the square that she's supposed to aim for. And if that square is not a little big enough, make it bigger. You could put some more high contrast red tape on the square and just tell her to aim for the big square. And anyways, he did it, and this girl is a fantastic basketball player. So we could use these types of things to remember lighting and contrast and size to help the kids with virtually anything that they're doing. So at this time, uh, let's open it up to any comments, suggestions, and questions that any of you may have or things that you have used with some of your students or your children or kids. Go ahead and press uh, star six and unmute. And Sue, do you have any other uh, great comments and tips and suggestions you'd like to add? I, that was a great list. That was a great um, comprehensive approach to modifications. And nothing. I can't think of anything right now at all, but that was wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Bill. Okay, and we could use these same things in mind when we think about eating. 
I remember one of the most frustrating things that I had as I was going blind is, you know, I love to eat rice. We eat white rice, and our dishes are white, and our tablecloth was white. And when I was eating dinner, it was just a mess. <laughs> I couldn't really see where was my rice on the plate. I'd try to scoop it, and i get it off the plate. Then I'm looking for it, and it's on the tablecloth, and everything was white. I just couldn't see it. But we did a couple of real basic things. My wife got me a a, a black dish, and I put my white rice on there, and the black dish on my white tablecloth, everything's okay. <laughs> so... Let, let me hear some other suggestions or any questions that any of you have. Does anybody have anything they'd like to share? Nobody? Okay. Well, uh, we we really appreciate you taking the time. We hope this is helpful. Mm-hmm. And uh, please share this with other families mm-hmm. and teachers who, who may be interested. Uh, this podcast is going to be up at the Braille Institute website at www.brailleinstitute.org. And it's also going to be up at Airs L A. That's www.airsaireslla.org. And that's where we have just many, 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 many podcasts all related to uh, vision and development. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd like to personally take this time to thank uh, Mr. Joe Yorka and Airs L A for all the support they've given us on these programs throughout the years. Mm-hmm. And we'd also like to wish all of you and your families a a wonderful holiday. And uh, the same to you, too, Sue. You, too, Dr. Bill, and your family. We um, And everyone out there, have a wonderful holiday season. And uh, we'll see you all again on January. Well, we'll all tune in again on January 10th. And the topic coming up will be eye safety. And, again, valuable tips to protect your child's eyes. Another thing, another topic I think of of great interest and great importance. Thank you, Dr. Bill. That was a great lecture. I learned so much. Oh, great. Okay, Sue, thank you. Good night, everybody.